are listening to Radio Influence. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reed. Yes, here we are. December is underway, and we have finished up with the college football weekend and championship Saturday. And down the stretch we come with the NFL games, and the predictions and the underdogs will be flying everywhere. I am your somewhat capable host. A little bit of a struggle for me last week at 1-2 and two on Three Dog Thursday. He is senior handicapper, writer from VegasInsider.com. We love the expert analysis of Kevin Rogers who did have a UAB Blazer win for the Conference USA Championship game last week as part of Three Dog Thursday and his victory. Welcome, Kevin. And we now know the final four teams in the college football playoff and uh, and everything has kind of settled for the moment before the bowl games and then the big playoff semifinals get cranked up. How you doing? Doing well. And uh, you know, we have a million bowls and we have the Red Box Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl <laughs> and all these other things. And granted, those are name changes uh, from, from previous years, but still it's Lots of it's a lot to digest, you know, all these games. But you know, once it gets going, you know, it'll be good. But still, it, you have six and six teams playing each other. It's just it, it, it's a little bit too much. No doubt. Uh, the I'm always fond of the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Whenever they play that one, I don't even thought they know if that's still the name of the one in Boise or the old Poolland Weed at Weed Whacker Bowl that they would play uh, in the Independence Bowl for many years. Uh, okay, so we should say up front that we don't really have other than Army Navy that traditional phenomenal rivalry. We don't really have a a uh, college game that we're going to go to. We're not picking the FCS playoffs for now, but when the bowl games do come back around, kind of starting next week and the next couple of weeks, we'll be back picking college football games. NFL picks coming a little bit later on, and a lot of them from you and I. So before we get to those, let's just talk about what shook out last week. We now know it is Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. They all three won. We figured they'd stay in the same place. And Oklahoma joins them winning the Big 12 title game as the fourth and final team. So, Kevin, just give me a thought or two now that we've set all that up with all the craziness from last weekend. What about it? I have no problem with Oklahoma being in. I have no problem with Georgia being out. And I saw a lot of people on social media saying Georgia's one of the uh, four best teams in the country. That's great. They still have two losses. And then why do we have records? Why do we keep score if they're one of the best teams, but yet they couldn't hold on to a 14-point lead against Alabama in the SEC championship? Yeah, and It's as simple as that for me. And, and Georgia, you know, I, I said this to you, I think before the season, you know, they probably wouldn't win it all because of last year that they were right there against Alabama. They blew it. I think it's very hard to come back from that. And, and they didn't go very far from that perspective get to the SEC championship again, but at the same time, you don't win that game, you don't belong. Simple as that. But I will say, though, on the flip side, I think that the that college football does need to expand to eight. So I think it's proven now four is not enough. That there's too many good enough teams to play for a national championship. I'm not saying 16 or 24, but four is, is 
is, is a limit. And, and it's right. a little too small. Let's get into that debate because I've done a lot of work in and around the college football playoff. I've been live from all four of the championship games. Here's why I respectfully disagree with the mighty one because – all the debate, all the stuff that goes into the final two or three weeks of who's going to get one of those four spots goes away if you have eight teams. Because in this case, and we say this every year, in this case, uh, Georgia, who lost the SEC title game, would be in. Ohio State would would be in. The, the uh, Pac-12 champion in this case was Washington. They have three losses. Eh, maybe, maybe not. So is it a two-loss Michigan team that gets in? I mean, just as you said, the second Second loss has always killed you in college football for 30, 40, 50 years. You lose the second time with the exception of the 2007 season when everybody at the top had two losses, whether you were talking about LSU or Ohio State. Remember, West Virginia at the very end had only the one loss. They lost to Pitt for a second loss that year, and that's before the Big East had a championship game. Everybody had two losses that year. So And that's been the aberration, the rare exception of, of 50 years of college football where everybody lost to. The second loss is a killer. Kevin, it just takes the debate away. It takes the fun and the drama away. If we're saying we're taking the top eight, eight, eight teams, we know that by and large for the Power Five Conference, all their champions are going to be in regardless of record. And two or three of their runner-ups are going to be in. It just takes away from the drama. And, and one more point on that uh, that I w- I'd love to have your feeling on. The schedules are never going to be even. Not everybody's playing the same strength of schedule to get to their 10th win, their 11th win, their 12th win, their 13th win. So you've got to have some kind of arbitrary cutoff here that says, in this case, Washington being a Pac-12 champion, their their record, their 10-3 and record is not nearly as good as what Alabama and Clemson and Notre Dame and Oklahoma put together with either no losses or one loss. If you have an eight-team playoff, then then wouldn't Washington have to be in right now in an eight-team playoff as the Pac-12 champion? Or would they even be disregarded in a top eight? So I laid a lot out there. I'll let you respond. Go ahead. Okay, number one, I hate to say it like this, I don't care about the drama. Get it, get it right. Get it right. As long as you have the eight best teams in, I don't think anybody cares how it gets to that point as long as you get that and then you have three rounds, in a sense, of these games. Now, think about this for a second. I don't have a problem with the top four that are in. I really don't. I'm not advocating for someone else to get in. I'm just saying there are other teams that could also compete for it. And you know what? Washington should be in a top eight. They won their conference. You know, we talk about these power conferences. Winning your conference doesn't mean anything. If you're going to have Georgia go in over Oklahoma or Ohio State, so what does winning the conference do? It doesn't mean anything. This is just like an SEC bias, it feels like. Now, I'll continue my point in a second, but the conversation was, too, last week, what happens if Georgia wins this game? Where does Alabama fit in this whole thing? Right. Then I can understand Alabama still getting in as a number four like they did last year, I can understand that. But Georgia, I think, had no claim losing two. I think they had no yep. claim to get in. But back to this for a second. If you have an eight, okay, you you get in a team like a UCF. And this is not because they're deserving. This is all about let's see what they can do. Everyone doesn't want to play them. They win all these games. And it's like, well, what's the point of even playing? And I'm serious about that. What's the point of UCF? or teams in the American Conference or in the MAC or the Mountain West, what's their point of even playing these games if they have no chance at a championship? None at all. If UCF gets into this top eight, 
they play Alabama and Alabama beats them 65 to nothing. Okay, now we know. Now we know. But at least they got in because you went undefeated. Notre Dame, I totally understand because the only way they can get into this top four is being undefeated. They can't get in with one loss. And three teams were undefeated. Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame all deserve to be there. They did their job. But it seemed like UCF, you did your job for two years and you have nothing to show for it at all because they just want to keep you out. I think that there's got to be a little bit more room in college basketball. Yeah, I know there's more teams, but college basketball allows Butler and Loyola Chicago and VCU and George Mason and these schools to have a chance at least. And and I feel like college football doesn't give you a chance if you're not Alabama or Clemson. Well, and the brand names, I mean, I don't know that UCF would have been included in an eight in a subjective process. I mean, when you've got those individuals on the college football playoff committee leaving them behind Michigan with two losses who didn't win their division, didn't win the Big Ten title, that's a farce to me. It's an insult uh, on that. Okay, so uh, you and I agree to disagree. You know, again, people that want the eight, they make the argument that more is better. More isn't necessarily better. I don't I didn't have to see Washington involved in this playoff. I don't have to see a two-loss Michigan who lost the two biggest games on their schedule to Notre Dame and Ohio State. I'm fine with the four. It's not equitable like the NFL where you you play the same divisional schedule. You play the same out-of-divisional schedule. You play the same cross-conference schedule as everybody in your division. That's more equitable to decide who are the six teams in the NFC, who are the six teams in the AFC, and have a 12-team playoff. In college football, it's never equitable. I mean, the one thing that the Big 12, the Big 10, the ACC, the Pac-12 are all screaming about now is the SEC doesn't play a ninth conference game before their championship game. And every one of them virtually plays a cream puff, lower rung, or even FCS team. That's a lesser game. And yet in Alabama's case, it wasn't going to penalize them on strength of schedule to have the extra cream puff game. So it's not equitable. It's not across the board. And they love what we're doing right now, arguing and debating and that's what you get with four teams and I agree with you we knew three of them we we really knew two of them Alabama and Notre Dame Clemson most likely and unless they lost to Pitt Clemson was going to be there even with a narrow win so they're in and now we get Oklahoma in that uh, matchup what about the Sooners I know uh, we have the Heisman Trophy voting coming up here Kyler Murray uh, and maybe neck and neck with Tua Tonga-Vailoa for the Heisman Trophy the Alabama quarterback what about Oklahoma getting that fourth spot you said you have no problem with it uh what about the way that they played and played their way in and now get to play Alabama and what about Murray's chances for the Heisman I think Murray will probably win the Heisman with the way the odds have gone and uh, I have no problem with that I think Oklahoma should be in they've won lost by three points to Texas you know and you know we have to stop with the you know who you lost to oh they had three losses and they're still good teams you know if, if Oklahoma lost to Kansas, and that's their only loss of the season. You say, my God, like, how did you lose that game? But, you know, they lost by three points to their bitter rival at the end, and they were down big in that game and came back, and then they beat them the second time around. So I have no problem with Oklahoma being in. Obviously, Ohio State, that, you know, them losing to Purdue really killed them. They gave 50 to Maryland. They had a nice win over Michigan at the end of the season. But, you know, I have no problem with Oklahoma being in. I want to make one other point about Washington, and then I'll move on. That... Yes, Washington was 9-3 and three in a watered-down Pac-12. Okay, I agree that some of the teams were down this year. But when you look back at it, they lost to Auburn week one at basically a road game in Atlanta. 
Okay, Auburn SEC, mighty SEC. They lost by two to Cal, and they lost by three in overtime to Oregon. Okay, they do not have one bad loss on the schedule. Granted, they have, you know, three losses, but when you look at Georgia, got killed by LSU. Ohio State got killed by Purdue. You know, Washington never had a bad loss on the schedule. So you kind of say, you know, is two losses with one bad loss worse than three really close losses and you still won your conference? That's where I kind of say, not that Washington's not a top four team, but at least when you see the top eight argument, that I'm putting them in over Michigan. You know, Michigan got bounced at the end of the year yeah. by, by Ohio but State. My thing, so my thing is, of, sure, they played different schedules, but UCF had no losses. UCF beat Pitt, who won their division in the ACC. UCF beat Cincinnati, who had only had one other loss and was ranked in the top 20 when they beat them. They won their conference championship game. I would rather have seen UCF get rewarded than a three-loss team. Okay, well, uh, who's yeah. your five through eight then? Who's your five I, through I, eight? I, honestly, to I think UCF deserved to be there, even in front of a one-loss Big Ten champion, Ohio State, because like what you were mentioning, when you watch the Nebraska game, and this committee talked about watching these games and game control, they were bad for several of these games that they won. Nebraska was beating them in the first half. Nebraska at at Columbus was tied with them late in the year. Maryland beating them the entire time. Uh, they, I mean, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Maryland was beating them for three hours of football all the way into overtime. The only time that Ohio State led the game was when they took the lead in the overtime time and then Maryland missed the two-point conversion with a wide-open receiver or else we're not even having a conversation about Ohio State. So I would definitely have put UCF in front of Ohio State. Michigan, again, didn't win the Big Ten, didn't even win their division. I put them in front of them. Uh, I, I would have UCF at five, right on, right on the cusp, deserving. And I know it's different seasons, but you look at last year at how the committee repeatedly undervalued them, left them at number 14, Kevin, and they played Auburn head-to-head, mighty SEC again, kind of same thing you were talking about with Washington, played them in Atlanta with a month to prepare and whacked them and beat them decisively. That same thing, should, could, would, could happen when they play LSU coming up. You may be looking at UCF doing the same thing again where they get in there with an SEC opponent and get into a a back-and-forth, high-scoring foot race game, wear them down and win, and you're talking about 26 wins in a row and two SEC wins, and they don't sniff the playoff. It's hilarious. I would have put them at five. Do you believe five is too high? No, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying in a top eight scenario, not necessarily right. five. And, and that's why I was asking you, who would be your five, six, seven, eight? Because right. I would put in no particular order. Ohio State would right. Four. Ohio State would have to be in there. We would agree one if you, if there was an yeah. eight. Ohio State would have to be in there. Georgia, I think, with two losses, which are at LSU and Alabama on a neutral field, they've got to be one of the teams. You would stick Washington in there with three losses in the eight. Washington and UCF would be the, would be those four. That, that would be the argument. Uh, okay, yeah. on the eight, if there so they was won their conference. That, if there was an eight. Michigan. Like All that, right, now you said breaker. you said Kyler Murray for the Heisman trophy if we go overall body of work Tua has been just lethal unstoppable and that's not to say that Murray doesn't have great numbers also even in their one loss to Texas I'm not so sure the brand name Alabama Alabama doesn't push Tua Tonga-Vailoa across the finish line as the uh, what the third Heisman trophy winner that Alabama will have had in recent years you, you think it is that much that Kyler Murray in the last couple of weeks here has maybe taken it from him, including the Big 12 championship game win? 
Yeah, but I mean, also you say brand name in Oklahoma. They've they've seen plenty. I mean, right. Jason White won a Heisman in Oklahoma. That's correct. I mean, Sam Bradford, so, correct. You know, yes. it's not a crazy thing. I mean, look, I don't have a problem either way. You know, whoever wins. I mean, to me, I'm not a huge Heisman person, so I don't really care who wins it. And besides, it's not a predictor of, of NFL uh, stardom or, or success. So that's why it doesn't matter to me. I mean, either way, but I mean, they both have great numbers. You know, it's just that people will argue that Kyler Murray is playing as the Big 12 and no one plays defense in the Big 12 versus the SEC. But then again, you know, everyone's talking about Alabama's schedule. And, you know, really, before they played Georgia, you know, who did they really play? You know, I mean, LSU, yeah, they, they, they destroyed LSU. But besides that, you know, who they really beat? Well, he had an amazing year, though, uh, where he's not even playing in the fourth quarter, too. Um, and and again, then you got the Jalen Hurts thing. One more point on this before we put the college football to bed. And we've got a guest coming up, Price Atkinson, who does a great job talking service academy football. And uh, Yards and Stripes is his podcast. He'll be talking Army-Navy with me straight ahead. Kevin and I will do NFL picks later on in the show. Jalen Hurts off the bench. What a story. What an amazing reversal where Alabama had to turn back to him in the same building, Kevin, you know this, against the same opponent, Georgia, where he went to the bench in January in the college football playoff championship game, and Tua's, uh, I guess, legend was uh, born that night in January with what he did in the overtime with the winning touchdown pass. Now the reversal. They needed, because Tua with the ankle injury, they needed Hurts, and Hurts played brilliantly in the in the final quarter, especially with the game-winning points, including running in the go-ahead touchdown. What about about Jalen Hurts there? Well, a couple things on that. Number one, going back to the championship game last year, that, I, I, again, Sue was extremely talented, but I'm, I'm going to play in the result. He gets sacked on, what, on second down and for like a 15-yard loss or something. Right. It all looks terrible. Alabama loses that game. You really wonder which way Saban goes, and Tua made a great throw to win the championship last year. So you kind of wonder what would have happened in the offseason. Obviously, that complicated things for Saban. But, you know, there's that debate about the transferring the guy from Clemson, Kelly Bryant, you know, who was leaving and he lost a starting job. And, and, you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, oh, let's just stick it out and see, but let me go somewhere else for an opportunity. And, yeah, I guess it worked out for Jalen Hurts and he he made the most of it, but Tua doesn't get hurt. You know, uh, Jalen Hurts doesn't get that opportunity. I mean, it it did work out. It's a good story, but, you know, it's a tough one because – you know, if you just sit back and wait, you're not taking advantage of an opportunity. But if you go somewhere else, you're being a baby and you leave. So <laughs> right. it's just it's a, it's a well, very hard situation. In his now. situation, he obviously uh, led them to the cusp of the national championship against Clemson. And it wasn't his fault that the Bama defense couldn't stop Deshaun Watson as they went down the field and scored. He played well for a lot of last season, 2017. And Tua obviously played well when they had to have it the most. He's from Alabama. He has talked repeatedly about how much he has uh, longed and desired to play for the Crimson Tide and not for anybody else. And I, I think the camaraderie, the the fact, the the, uh, the unity of that team and that situation, I mean, you saw the images, so did everybody. Images 
uh, are worth more than words uh, of Tua hugging on him when they clinch the SEC title in the perfect season. It tells you how close they are. They aren't enemies on that sideline, and he was needed uh, to help win. So it works out well. And look, they may have to go back to him, to Jalen Hurts I'm talking about. I know Tua gets a month here to rest the ankle, but they may have to go back to Hurts, Kevin, in these playoff games because Tua has been banged up down the stretch of the season in the LSU game. Uh, he was he was also shaken up briefly in the Auburn game. So this this could happen again in a semifinal and or a championship game for Alabama that they may have to count on Hurts again. How wild would that be if Hurts helps lead them to victory for the championship after he was benched in the championship game? We'll see. Yeah, well, and again, you know, it just goes to show that they have two good quarterbacks. You know, they have two guys they can rely on. A lot of teams can't rely on one quarterback, you know, and, and they have two guys. And as long as they don't make mistakes, then, you know, I mean, look, you see Alabama's a huge favorite uh, against Oklahoma. So, you know, I don't know if the quarterback play necessarily, if you change one or the other, it's really going to affect things. I think both of them are very talented. And, you know, obviously we'll see how to, uh, you know, how much he's healed before that game. All right. We will find out with that down the road. Kevin, stand by. We'll come back to you in a little while with some NFL underdogs. Again, Army-Navy conversation is coming up with Price Atkinson. Also, Brett McMurphy will be here from Stadium.com. A lot going on with coaching with Urban Meyer announcing his retirement earlier this week. A lot of coaching moves. There's no better college football insider than Brett McMurphy. Stand by for him coming up as well. Kevin back later with some NFL prognostication. Come on back here as part of Three Dog Thursday. We do continue on, and it is one of the great rivalries in all of sports. Forget about just college football. Army-Navy, they renew it again in Philadelphia, and who better to help me break it down than the host of the Yards and Stripes Service Academy football podcast. Love me some Price Atkinson. Nobody, let me say again, nobody breaks down the Service Academy football games every week better than this man that's about to join us. So it is, it's the game this weekend in college football so who better to have on three dog thursday good to have you my friend after that build up and here we go with another army navy game well you're way too kind tj reeves but you're right there is nothing like it the army navy game it simply stands on a pedestal of its own like i've said before all other rivalries they simply all take a backseat to america's game plain and simple but it's good to be with you and talk about america's game the 119th annual army navy game saturday in Philadelphia. I can't wait to get up there. All right. So I want to get into this game specifically, right. but I got to, I, I, before we do that, I got to have you share a couple of different things. You've been intimately involved in this game previously from a statistical part of the game operations. Explain yourself. Yeah. So when I worked at the Naval Academy uh, for four years, my first game uh, is the caller head statistician. <laughs> Believe it or not, my first game, when we made a switch in the stat crew, I will I will save your, your, you and your listeners from that story. My first game taking over was the 2000 Army-Navy game in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> I am in the middle of a press box, a press box that has no empty seat in it. We do not get our own booth. We're in the middle of the press box, and I am calling as the head statistician the official score of the 2000 Army-Navy game was one of the m- most incredible honors, special opportunities, whatever you want to call it, that I've had in doing so much across the sporting landscape. Pick your sport. Wow. The official score for two games, 2000 and 2002. 
just something that I will never get a chance Were to you, do. I, I haven't heard you tell this story. Were you nervous, excited, all of the above while doing Shaking. that? Are you, are you, are, is, part, is part of you going, my God, this is the Army-Navy game, and this is my first time to do this? I have Shake. to believe shaking doing it and i'm trying to talk very softly so i'm not <laughs> screaming it out because i'm you know second guessing rush 19 tackle 55 48 yes i was whispering to our intern who was inputting into the computer as i had a spotter flanked to my right wow that so that's been part of your duty and you have been at this game and you will be there in philadelphia this weekend for coverage of your podcast of the yards and stripes podcast and to soak it all in in philadelphia for the audience that is out there listening what is it like to be part of this game year in and year out as you have been well it it, it's it is the game and you know i say that in, until you've gone, if you've got a sports bucket list and you haven't been to this game, this the Army-Navy game should be at the top because if it's not even on your bucket list and you've never been, just go ahead and burn the list, okay? Because when they say – and I didn't get it, TJ. I didn't understand until that my very first game, which was 2000. You know, I think uh, Army was – 0-11 going into the game. Navy was 1-10. And, and I'm like, BFD, who the heck cares? Two losers. I mean, I was working at Navy at the time. I'm kind of like, what's a big deal? Well, you know what? I quickly, quickly realized once I got in that stadium, and it wasn't until I got there on game day, an experience where you have the entire – forget the records. You know, they say throw the record books out the window. And that is true when it comes to this game because most of the time this is a game where these seniors, that is the final time they will be on a football field. Most of them were, you know, recruited lightly by very tiny schools, had the chance to go play D1 football. Maybe one of their only D1 offers was Army, Navy, or maybe Air Force. This is their final time on a football field with their brothers. In addition, I mean, there's so many things that go into it. I mean, whether you're undefeated or no, neither team has won a game all season, you're still going to have the flyovers with all the military uh, brass. You're still going to have, you know, the parachuters jump in with the game. You're still going to have the march-ons. You're still going to have all the pomp and everything. And there's no other game in America that I know of where you have the entire student body. I'm talking every single one of them in one corner and the entire student body in the other corner. There's no other game you can say that for where you've got the brigade on one corner and the Corps of Cadets on the other. It is a spectacle that you've just got to <laughs> see and experience, especially like last year in the driving snow. You know, as I'm standing down there on the goal line, you know, a couple penalties, you know, we wouldn't be talking about a uh, two-game winning streak for Army. You know, Navy uncharacteristically penalized TJ on that final drive. Two false start penalties in the driving snow. That pushes that field goal attempt as time expired back to 48 yards. Bennett Mooring's kick landed probably within five to three feet. All right, so I got to stop you. I got to stop you on that story. The snow is coming down. It's tough to see. It's a 48-yard kick. And you're standing right there. I mean, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up while you're telling the story, Price. I left, I left the press box to get down to the field for the final few minutes. And, yeah, and let me tell you, you got to run because in literally with both teams running the football, the clock is going to go. So you got to head down there and you got to run to get to that field so you don't miss anything during a timeout. I got to the end zone where the Army students were, and that's the end zone that Navy was driving toward cannot see you know the snow is coming down <laughs> i'm standing literally on the back line of the end zone right uh if you're looking at the field almost directly under just barely off center to the right of the right goal post and then those false starts you know i can't really see the play that well i just see a couple teams 
one in uh, navy blue and the other in white. And next thing I know, there's running Bennett Mooring out to kick that field goal. I could hardly see the ball. It was in the air. Obviously, as it starts traveling in over and closer, I pick it up in the in the in the lights of Lincoln Financial Field. It comes down there just shy of making. It would have been good had it uh, had it been five yards closer. And so that's how the game ended a year ago. Somehow, I think that video might reappear on Price Atkinson's social media on Twitter and elsewhere yep. before this Army Navy game uh, gets played well, coming up this weekend. But what, I mean, what a moment to stand there in the snow and and be witnessing that on the final play, essentially of the. The game wow it really was but when they say this game is a game of inches oftentimes between these two teams i mean you can go back to a moment earlier in the game and, and it to me the play of the game wasn't a stop there to force navy it wasn't one of those personal fouls I mean, navy tried to flip the script in a way and threw out a wrinkle last year where in starting zach avia quarterback they started malcolm perry the electric slot back in the snow he carried it i believe 36 times for 250 yards in the game he broke free on a long run that john voigt the linebacker for army chased him down inside the 10 tripped him up i mean literally dove in the snow barely clipped the foot of malcolm perry who was headed for the end zone nothing between him and that goal line Voight dives trips him up perry goes down navy has to settle for three had he gotten the end zone we might be having a very different conversation right now Voice of Price Atkinson, again, his podcast is Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football. It's on the V Sporto platform. It's also available through iTunes, through Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, search Yards and Stripes as he's got a full preview. We'll get to the roll call of who he has on for this week. So this is an interesting role reversal now in the rivalry and for this year's version of the game because Army has the last two wins. Navy had won how many in a row until the two wins by Army? Navy had won 14 straight, an unprecedented number. So roughly uh, six, five, six graduate, four or five graduating classes where they never lost a game over and over and over again at Navy, right? That is correct. So And so now Army has won the last two, and Army has won the last seven games in a row in this season and would be considered uh, a significant favorite, a seven-point favorite. But I'm saying to you, just like what you said, throw the records out. What Navy has – they've had some close losses, but Navy's lost eight of nine games. That doesn't mean anything to me. In the nuts and bolts of this game, Navy could win this game. Am I crazy? Uh, no, they, they certainly could win this game because I mean, no matter how you slice it, you know, the talent level is still fairly even, you know, across the board with both teams. I would make the argument that Army's probably got a little bit more talent than Navy does right now. I think they're recruiting. They've started getting some of the guys that Navy had prioritized and wanted. Uh, and so Navy's kind of coming in second in some of those head-to-head recruiting battles. But by and large, talent is pretty even. You just got a staff in, in Jeff Munkin's team that his the job they has done, and not just Jeff himself, you know, who I worked with while he was an assistant with Paul Johnson and Ken Niamatololo, the current Navy head coach back in Annapolis. But, you know, his entire staff, Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator up for the Broyles Award, was a finalist for that award. Um, Brent Davis, the offensive coordinator, their staff has just done a marvelous job in player development on both sides of the ball. You think about Army and you think about triple option and everything. You know, Mod Bradshaw graduated enter Kelvin Hopkins from Independence High School and out of Charlotte. North Carolina, and now he's got an arm. He is much different than Ahmad Bradshaw, who is really a human wrecking ball, is a running back playing quarterback. Hopkins can throw the football, the quarterback spot. But you think triple option offense and, and Army, 
yeah, that's where they buttered their bread. But their defense, TJ, on that side of the ball, they're a playmaking defense. They shoot a lot of gaps with linebackers and safeties. What Bateman has done, to me, that is the difference in why Army has ascended to where they are. That is why they stayed on the field and took number what four Oklahoma yep. uh, to overtime back yep. in late September. That is the big difference. Now, you talk about close and throw records out the window. Yes, I mean, Navy's 3-9. and nine. It has been a season in Ken Niamatololo's 11 seasons at Navy, unlike anything he has experienced. We talked about it this week. I talked exclusively about it, about it with him on this week's Army-Navy preview special podcast. You know, They lost a pair of games on two-point conversions, one in overtime, one inside the final minute. So you lose uh, two games by one point right there. I mean, they played UCF pretty tough. They lost by 11 in that game. Um, you know, they only lost by a touchdown to Temple. They had some games that could have gone the other way, TJ. Uh, but nonetheless, Navy staring at three and nine and really a one-game season. While Army, they'll go to the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl after this one. Yep. And so, but again, they, they run that triple option, uh, does yep. Navy. It gave Notre Dame some problems. Notre Dame ended up uh, scoring a bunch on them, especially in the second half. But it gave them some problems. And back to that Army-Oklahoma game just for 30 more seconds. They had the Sooners on the ropes at times uh, in September and did a good job defensively on Kyler Murray and company. That is that. That is quite an accomplishment, even in a loss. Uh, out of all of their wins, I don't know that any of those are bigger than how well they played in a loss at Norman against Oklahoma real quick. Oh, they, they outgained Oklahoma 379 to 355. Think about this one, TJ. They had the ball for 40 four minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> in the football game you know and this this was no joke I mean you think fluky you know play here play there let me just give you scoring drives just really quickly Army puts 21 points on the board their three scoring drives were this 16 plays 75 yards nine and a half minutes 16 <laughs> plays 75 yards 854 final scoring drive 19 plays 85 yards 10 minutes 47 Ooh. seconds that's that's not fluky. That's going head-to-head and flat-beating Oklahoma. Well, and and now in college football, if you take more than a minute to score, it's a time-consuming drive. Nine-plus nine minutes, three times, nine minutes, or nine-plus minutes, three times. Remarkable in that game. We're looking forward to Army-Navy. Plug away on the podcast. Who's on the podcast in the preview mode as you're also going to be there live in Philadelphia as part of the podcast, too. Go. Yeah, certainly follow us on Twitter at Yards and Stripes. Like us on Facebook. I'll be there starting Friday, pregame, in-game, post-game, photos, video, so much more from for Lincoln Financial Field. Check out this week's Army-Navy preview special, man. It is loaded. Check it out. Sporto, iTunes, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, like you said. Just a parade of guests. You need 90 minutes to get ready for Saturday's 119th Army-Navy game. You do it with me and Cole Christensen, the linebacker defensive uh, uh, co-captain for the Black Knights. You got Army Navy starting quarterback Zach Abey, play-by-play voice Rich DeMarco from Army. Got Navy head coach Ken Niamatololo, former Navy wide receiver Aster Evan, and then columnist and best-selling author John Feinstein. It is loaded, packed. There's nowhere else you will find what we will deliver to you on Yards and Stripes to get you ready for Army-Navy. And of course, Feinstein 
Bernstein wrote the great book about uh, about Army and Navy, what the last amateurs, uh, just tremendous. Civil War. The Civil, Civil War was a, a this Civil one. War. Civil yep. War on this one, and and uh, it was written around the time you were talking about. You were involved with this with this rivalry game um, back in the early two thousands. It's just it's tremendous. The pageantry of all of it, and again, throw out the seven point spread for Army in this one uh, because it doesn't matter who's had the winning record or who's supposed to be favored and what could happen here. We will uh, we will see how it unfolds. Price, I always love uh, the insight from you on Service Academy football on all college football and basketball, but in particular, nobody's on it more than this guy with Service Academy football. It's Yards and Stripes. Go to yardsandstripes.com. Find it at Yards and Stripes on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Price does a great job with his show. And again, um, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play for the podcast for the preview of Army-Navy. As if I have to tell you this, I am profoundly jealous. I've never been to Army-Navy. You're going yet again. Have a blast, and we look forward to that rivalry game commencing one more time, sir. I have tried to talk you into it. Next time, I'm going to kidnap you from down there <laughs> in the Sunshine State bring you with me. As always, thanks for having me. Three Dog Thursday brought to you in part by SmackApparel.com for a great in-your-face college theme and nfl theme tees. Go to SmackApparel.com and take 10% off with the promo code 3DOG for Three Dog Thursday. It's SmackApparel.com and the promo code 3DOG. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. Have not had the opportunity to grab this guy uh, throughout the college football season, but here it is at the end of the season and after championships Saturday to talk with Brett McMurphy. Love this, but this man, arguably the top insider when it comes to info, coaching moves, what's going on in college football with Stadium.com and the Watch Stadium uh, website and app. All right, good to, good to have you here. Okay, fundamentally, I don't have you that long, but I want to cover several subjects. Did they get it right with Oklahoma in the fourth spot in the college football playoff, sir? It depends on if you wanted the best four teams or the most deserving four teams. So how's that for, for I love it's a political answer in a political season. So let me ask it again. Brett McMurphy to they, you. Did they get it right? <laughs> yes, they did. They did because the games have to matter. If you go with the four best teams, I think you could make an argument that Georgia should be in there, but then I still believe very strongly you need to penalize teams after a loss. You need to reward teams after a win. If wins and losses don't matter, then Alabama goes 9-3 and three every year, and they're in the playoff because they would still be power-rated as one of the four best teams. I think it's very clear. The committee got the two best teams in Alabama and Clemson, and then they got the next two most deserving teams and Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Because Notre Dame, according to power ratings, they come in at seventh or eighth in the country. So you could argue Notre Dame shouldn't even, shouldn't have even been in there if you're going with the best four. But I have no problem with the TJ because, again, I don't see a power five team going undefeated and not getting in the playoffs. Uh, that would be a, a travesty. And then also, yes, Georgia lost to Alabama, but if you dissect them a little bit closer, look at them a little bit closer – very weak non-conference schedule besides Alabama. They lost by three touchdowns against LSU, a team that was blitzed by Alabama, shut out by Alabama, a team that lost to Florida. And their best, what was Georgia's best win? Florida or Kentucky? So I, I think they got it right. Others right. may not, but 
Well, that's who we're stuck with. We just spent we just spent a segment before you came on arguing back and forth for an 18 playoff. Look, the debate. You and I know this, and I think we agree on this. The debate is what fuels uh, the four team thing, and when you move it to eight, there's less debate uh, because then you're going to put in more power five teams. And I think you and I agree on that. All right, to some coaching stuff. And again, Brett was at the forefront of all the controversy with Urban Meyer, and he was eventually uh, suspended, sort of, kind of in air quotes. He could coach during the week, but not coach the games for the three games that are coming up. Well, we now know Urban Meyer has announced his retirement on Monday after their Big Ten championship game win, and after they play the Rose Bowl, he'll be stepping aside. Ohio State wasted no time to to permanently put in Ryan Day, the offensive coordinator. Uh, Brett, you've done great reporting on this all along. How, su- how surprised were you that this played out immediately like this right after the championship game? I can't believe you were that surprised. What about it? Yeah, I really wasn't, TJ. I mean, he was suspended back on August 22nd, and on August 23rd, I did approximately 50, 50 radio interviews, and on every one, I said, I don't think Urban Meyer will coach next year at Ohio State. And I said that because you looked at his demeanor at the press conference when he was suspended, and he looked just worn down. He looked beaten down. Uh, you know, it, it did not look good at all. And I think mainly it's because he realized that he no longer had 100% support from President Michael Drake. Michael Drake was a big proponent on why he should get suspended, while the Board of Trustees didn't feel like he should. Certainly the president did, and I think that that really uh, you know, surprised Urban. And then during the season, you start hearing all the reports about Urban's health, and he's got this issue and that issue. I mean, those things were being leaked for a purpose. I mean, it's at one point, TJ. I knew more about Urban Meyer's health than I knew about my own. So <laughs> I knew he was laying the foundation that this was going to be his last year. And it's you're you're from Florida. It's the same situation yes. when he left Florida, except Florida came out of nowhere. That was a surprise to everybody. Then he gave hints. He leaked out information. He got information out to lay the foundation, almost a, kind of a sympathetic ploy. I had actually heard two weeks ago that from a source that he would retire at the end of this season. I could not report it because I, I unless I got it from Urban, I was not going to report that because certainly he's in the past said he was going to resign. He said that at Florida, and then the next day he said he changed his mind and he came back and coached another year. So I wasn't surprised. I thought that he would he would do a, kind of a win one for the Gipper type deal. I actually thought he may have done it before the Michigan game, but obviously they blitzed Michigan. So now he announces he's done. And I think what was most telling is that he was continually asked, will you ever coach again? Um, And even though he said, well, I believe I'm done coaching, I'm fairly certain nobody believes him. I expect him to be back coaching at 2020 at some some, uh, big Power 5 profile school as he tries to become the first coach to win the national championship at three different schools. Well, and a lot of people are speculating the NFL. He might try that. I mean, who knows? But this does follow the same. Yeah, I don't think same pattern. I don't think his personality works in the NFL. I think I, I really think we'll come back college. And you look at some of the high-profile schools that may have openings next year: USC, Auburn, maybe Florida State, um, if Notre Dame, if Brian Kelly went to the NFL. Right. Um, so I, I really think we'll see him. I really think we'll see him back coaching again. 
I still remember the indelible image, and I think you were on this road trip with me, but you were not on the flight. When he was the coach at Utah, Notre Dame was trying to hire him. We actually, I was the USF radio basketball play-by-play guy. We flew into Salt Lake City and had a layover, and Notre Dame had sent the private plane, Brett, with the Notre Dame emblem on it to Salt Lake to try to convince him to come to Notre Dame while Florida was trying to woo him also to leave Utah after their perfect season and come to Florida. He picked Florida. So who knows? You might be onto something that Notre Dame might be in the uh, in the very distant future. Who knows if, if that happens? It does not surprise. It, it does not. It would not have surprised me if they came to this decision together that he was going to coach through the end of the season, the Big Ten season, and then announce this. And that was part of the condition of him coming back and being allowed to coach again. I don't have that. I don't report like you do. I don't dig like you yeah, do. I, but that wouldn't surprise have, me. People have asked. Yeah, people have asked me that, TJ. I I'm not. Con- I'm not uh, completely sold on that idea. I think it was a possibility, but I think probably mid-season, I think that became yeah. more of a reality because that's really when you started to hear the drumbeat about all the health issues with Urban Meyer. No doubt. All right, so a lot of coaching vacancies have been filled. There's one at the time we're talking right now that's still out there that's prominent, which is Georgia Tech. Uh, I want to get like 30-second little quick reactions. Les Miles, Kansas. Your reaction is what to that one? I actually love it. I mean, people will say, you know, the game's passing by. He's too old. He doesn't run a, uh, you know, high-octane offense. Look, Kansas is Kansas. You come in, if Les Miles can get them to six wins, get them to a bowl game, that's that's progression. I think that's huge for them. He's not going to win a national championship there. And you know what? You and I are talking about Kansas football, which is something we never would have done before if Les Miles wasn't there. Yeah, higher profile guy. Louisville doesn't get Jeff Brom. They settle on Scott Satterfield, the Appalachian State coach. Not as sexy a name. Um, is the, is this settling for Louisville here because Brom jilted him? Um, you know what? I it, 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 it is, but the fact that I was told that they had to go after Jeff Brom. He's an alum. He's a native. You know, his family is royalty in Louisville. You have to go after him. But I was also told if Brom doesn't work out, Scott Satterfield's our next target. So technically they are settling for him. But I think the fact that they had already identified him as the number one target if they couldn't get Jeff Brom, they think very highly of him. I think he'll do very well. He won three consecutive Sun Belt titles. Um, App State is, I think, one of the, the more underrated um, programs in the country. I think he'll do a fine job there. And, uh, you know, bottom line, I think it works out for him, even though it may not be a sexy hire. I love this. I got like three minutes left with Brett McMurphy from Stadium.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Brett McMurphy. does a great job with the college football insight. All right, Cliff Kingsbury gone from Texas Tech, but going to be the offensive coordinator at USC. They've announced it officially. On a scale of 1 to 10 on my interest level, mine is now a 27 to watch him run the <laughs> offense at USC. How intrigued are you real quick? 28. I love it. Um, because this is, per- this is perfect for him because he can, you know, he didn't fare well at Texas Tech. He's going to be in la-la land. And so now if he can resurrect UCS program and do the things he did offensively at Texas Tech in the L.A. spotlight, LA spotlight he's not only going to save Clay Helton's job, but then he's going to make him attractive as a head coaching candidate somewhere else. If they're successful, Cliff Kingsbury will not be at USC in, tw- in 2020. Because if he's successful, he'll be a head coach somewhere else. And if he's not successful, Helton's going to get fired. 
What, what about the theory, too, and this is like a 10-second theory now, that if they do well offensively but lose games, Kingsbury becomes the head coach at USC? Who knows? I mean, it's crazy, hey, but while we're USC, just conjecturing. Yeah, with Lance Swan as AD, anything's possible. Yeah, anything possible on that. And Heisman Trophy this weekend. We're talking to you in New York right now. I would consider it a big upset if Tua Tonga-Vailoa is not the Heisman Trophy winner and Kyler Murray appears. I mean, some are now favoring him to get the award. Give me the 30-second handicap. Is there Real drama here that Murray could be the guy? Thankfully, I was not able to get to any financial funds during the season because I would have put every penny I had <laughs> onto a tongue of to win the award. And until last week, I would have already been counting my winnings. And now this week, I would say, oh my God, I'm going to lose everything. Kyler Murray will win the Heisman. I think the really? dramatic improvement he's had the past few weeks and the fact that Tua has really not played that well and also. He got injured against Georgia, and then Jalen Hurts come in, comes in and wins the game. It proves to everybody that Alabama is going to win no matter who the quarterback is. I think everybody agrees Oklahoma is not in the playoffs without Kyler Murray. Oklahoma goes to back-to-back with two different quarterbacks. All right. Well, we'll find out uh, what happens with the Heisman. Again, Brett's in New York doing a great job working the information. Again, stadium.com. Follow him on Twitter at Brett McMurphy. I love you as an insider. It's a beautiful thing. Brett, thank you. I appreciate the time on Three Dog Thursday. Anytime, TJ. Thank you. Hey, football fans, the postseason is here, and for the very best, an in-your-face college-themed shirts at Smack Apparel and SmackApparel.com. Whether you root for defending champion Alabama or Clemson or Notre Dame or Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, or maybe even UCF or any of the top teams, they've got hilarious shirts to get under your opponent's skin. What will happen on championship weekend? Who will be those four teams remaining in the college football playoff? Well, one thing's for sure, you won't find a better way to let your opponent know how much you dislike them than with these shirts from smackapparel.com and here's a great promo code opportunity take 10% off your order at smackapparel.com with the promo code 3dog that's right throughout the football postseason the promo code 3dog is good for 10% off your order and Amazon Prime subscribers will get their shipping for free and Smack Apparel has plenty of great NFL themed shirts for the upcoming postseason as well whether it's for you your relatives your fellow fans or anyone that you can think of that would love these in-your-face college and pro-themed tees. Stock up, save big, and use that promo code 3DOG. Again, 10% off at SmackApparel.com with the promo code 3DOG. They're talking the talk at SmackApparel.com. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? 3DOG Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. Well, it's a blast to be with you every week and a lot of college football conversation already as we just talked uh, there with uh, Price Atkinson and Brett McMurphy. Price talking about that Army-Navy game. Again, the Yards and Stripes podcast has the full preview, including uh, Ken Numuatalolo, the head coach of uh, Navy, being on an interview there, the Army quarterback, John Feinstein, and others on that podcast. So if you want to plug in about Army-Navy, go to that one. And Brett McMurphy with a lot of different coaches uh, news and insight and the Urban Meyer situation and the Heisman stuff. So the college football 
Bowl. There you go. Now we move on to the NFL, and we welcome back in senior handicapper and writer, VegasInsider.com. Mr. Kevin Rogers is back with me, and we're ready to pick some NFL underdogs. I did have an NFL underdog winner last week with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Are you going to allow me to count that one? That that game, Kevin, with the Colts last week, a 6 nothing win may have set NFL football back 40 years or more. Am I still allowed to count that one as an underdog win? Wins are wins, Michael. It doesn't matter how you do it. <laughs> do not apologize for victories uh, on that front. All right, since last we talked, the Packers faltered badly, blew the game and lost to the uh, the Cardinals at home, which greatly damaged any playoff hopes they had of getting back in the playoff race. And they go Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and fire Mike McCarthy after the game, a coach that not only won a Super Bowl, but nine playoff seasons in Green Bay, Kevin, your read, you've been reading up on this and watching what the heck happened with him having to be deleted with a month left in the season. I don't have a problem with it. I really don't for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, it's just been a disaster this year, it feels like, since week one with the Packers. And I know they came back and beat Chicago. But Aaron Rodgers was hurt. It looked like it could be a bad season. They came back and, and he carried them to victory. But, you know, the, the Minnesota game that they blew early on with the tie in week two, the Rams game, you know, was a pretty bad one. They had to come back late against San Francisco. Uh, so, really, there, there wasn't a lot there where the Packers had, a, you know, had a lot to be fired up about. And, obviously, it didn't seem like he and Aaron Rodgers were really on the same page. I say, you know what, if you're not, if, if you're, if you're not with this guy long-term, then move on. Let everybody move on from it. You know, your season's shot. You might as well just let him go and then – let him find something else eventually and you find something else and and just go from there. It does seem to me the point that you made that there must be a real falling out behind the scenes and must have been and it was ongoing with Aaron Rodgers because star players often dictate who's the coach in the NBA especially. We've seen that with LeBron recently but there have been other examples. Michael Jordan uh, even going back to Magic Johnson. Everybody everybody talks about oh how in the world do you fire uh, Mike McCarthy during a season when he won a Super Bowl well Magic Johnson got Paul Westhead fired after they had won the NBA championship because he couldn't stand him and he was driving him he was driving him crazy the the Cavaliers had been in the NBA finals with David Blatt and LeBron decided I I don't want to listen to him anymore he's gone he's gone as the coach so this is not uh, unprecedented I think I mentioned earlier this year on three dog Thursday Joel Quinville had won three Stanley Cups there are a lot of coaches in pro hockey that don't coach one time in the Stanley Cup much less win three of them and the same team the Blackhawks still fired him so it it happens but to me it has to be that the relationship was either strained or split with Aaron Rodgers and that and that's why the, and that's why it happens now too that Rodgers basically said we got to have somebody else as the coach and maybe they're trying out Joe Philbin for that reason Philbin was in Miami and Kevin you're based in South Florida you've been in and around the Dolphins for more than a decade Philbin flopped badly as the as the Dolphins coach what about him as the interim choice here in Green Bay is that just a placeholder or does he have a chance to really be the permanent guy no way. There's no way this guy's going to be the permanent guy. I mean, he was a disaster with the Dolphins. I know that he's got roots in Green Bay. I guess, you know, him going back there. And, yeah, he's got a shot here at the end. I, I'm i not going to say that I bet everything I own that he is not the coach next year. But I, it would be crazy to think a legendary franchise like the Packers can't do better than Joe Philbin. 
All right. Well, we'll see. And again, Green Bay right now at uh, four, seven and one appears all but out of it in the playoff picture. It would take a, a miracle of them winning four and a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of losses for them to have any hope. So more than likely a playoff season without the Packers. We will find out. Some teams continue to flex their muscle here at the end of the year, including the Rams, the Chiefs. Uh, the Patriots, uh, some of the others at the top. How about the L.A. Chargers, a team that you've backed a couple of times recently on Three Dog Thursday, going and winning that Sunday night game at Pittsburgh. I mean, it's going to be a wild AFC playoff chase for sure at the end of it. Um, going to be a lot of fun to watch all this go on. All right, so it's time to get to some underdog predictions. Uh, Kevin, I'll let you begin. We need three each in the NFL, so it, it is a buffet of NFL doggies. Where do you want to begin? You went with an ugly dog last week with Jacksonville, so I'm gonna I'm gonna return the favor with an ugly dog, and uh, I'm gonna take the Washington Redskins oh, against the Giants. Oh, not just the underdog, but the dog with fleas and mange and needs its shots. And what is up? I mean, they got no quarterback. Mark Mark Sanchez, you're gonna go Redskins on me, even with the Sanchez as the start as the starting quarterback. Tell me more. Go ahead. This was a, this was a guy that won to two AFC championships. You know, that, we, we that's can't, true. We can't dog him that much has better resume than Colt McCoy had. But uh, yeah, it looked bad on Monday against Philadelphia. It was a bad spot, I thought, for the Redskins, and, and they're terrible on Mondays too, which doesn't help under Jay Gruden. But regardless, and I know Adrian Peterson had like 98 yards rushing at 90 on one carry, and then the rest of the game. But they are 4-0 against the spread as a dog this year at home. So you know, and and yes, it was Alex Smith, but they're still a team that is a lot more competitive at home. They've had one clunker against the Falcons. And also, I guess, against the Colts, both, both in the favorite role. But here, you're getting some points. And by the way, their opponent this week, the New York Giants, they've covered five straight on the road, all right? But all five is an underdog. Now they're laying points. They barely beat the Bucks. They barely beat the 49ers. They barely beat the Bears. I know that you know, Chicago is a very good win, but they pretty much had, had that game in, in, in their hold, in their grasp, and they blew it to Chicago before winning in overtime. I just don't know if I trust the Giants in favor. It's as simple as that. How about the Giants how, and back in the red? Sure. Field. How about the final play of regulation with the Bears with the double reverse pass by Tariq Cohen? What a risky play! Kind of a version of that Philly special Super Bowl play where they ran the double reverse and threw the ball to Nick Foles. But in this case, Cohen throwing to a wide receiver, a rookie wide receiver, Anthony Miller uh, for the Bears. Wow, the guts on that call, Matt Nagy, the coach, to go with that. Um, so they got the game tied. The Giants eventually won in overtime. How about how about the Giants a month ago had one win, and everybody was talking about is Pat Shermer going to be one and done? Now they're a favorite after winning three more games. They're a favorite now at Washington. So you'll go uh, with that one. All right, I, I will elect to go with an early game. And, and speaking of the Dolphins, I, I think the Dolphins have been playing better football. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda finished off the Colts in a game that they had a ten point lead at Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago. Couldn't finish it. Did go. Go ahead and beat the Bills at home. This is the Patriots coming in who whacked them earlier in the year. And New England always seems like they have a problem in December at Miami, including losing a couple of years ago. Um, well, they actually they lost last year to Jay Cutler on Monday Night Football in December uh, with one of Miami's better 
performances of the season came against New England. But remember, what was it the one year, two or three years ago where they only had to beat Miami to get home field advantage on the final day of the season? They end up losing. Denver gets the home field advantage. Denver hosts the AFC Championship game with Peyton Manning. They win the game. I, this is a December spot where I will take the Dolphins. I know they're banged up at wide receiver. Ryan Tannehill's shoulder not 100%. But something says to me here in this game, they'll not only keep it close, but maybe win the game. It's a revenge game, too, because New England blew them out back in early October. I'll take Miami uh, here in the seven and a half points. We got to take three underdogs right now in the NFL. I'll take the Dolphins as one of my doggies, Kevin Rogers. And I know you're doing the the Liam Neeson uh, taken line at the other end, right? Good luck. Are you doing a good luck to me on that with the Dolphins? I mean, I know the Dolphins have, have played well against them in December. I don't know how much faith they have in them, but I guess good luck. Yeah, good luck on that one. All right, underdog number two from you, pro football underdog. What do you like? I'll go with another NFC East team, the Eagles. Uh, mentioned their win over the Redskins, and it really is amazing how the Eagles come back from the dead because if they beat Dallas on Sunday, they'll be tied for first place, the NFC East. And this was a team that looked like they were done. And Dallas has played well of late, coming off some extra rest after beating New Orleans at home. And the Cowboys, you know, are feeling good about themselves, but also a revenge game, too, for the Eagles after they lost at home to Dallas a few weeks ago on Sunday night. So, you know, I just think that this Philadelphia team now feels like they have a pulse. And, you know, even though they're beat up, you know, in the running game, but Josh Adams, he's been running the ball well. And I just look at this spot as the Eagles last time they were on the road against the Saints. They were pounded. I think they, they put up a better performance on the road as an underdog. And uh, I think they get a share of first place by the end of the weekend. Of course, the Cowboys' role started with a win in Philadelphia. They've won four straight, and they're back. And what a great defensive performance for them against the Saints. All right, we'll see on, on that one with the NFC playoff chase tightening up. Philadelphia in the middle of that at 6-6. Six and six. I saw Carolina last week beaten by my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They've dropped from 6-2 six and two to 6-6. Six and six. Uh, The Redskins now 6-6. Six and six. The Cowboys a game ahead at the moment at 7-5. and five. So it has really tightened up here at this point for the um, for the NFC playoff picture. All right, speaking of the NFC playoff picture, the Rams continue to be uh, one of the top teams in the NFL, the top team in the NFC. They've already clinched a playoff spot. Hello, 12 weeks in, they're the division winner already in the NFC West. So kudos to Sean McVay for the second straight year. They'll take on the Bears, a game that has now been moved to Sunday night football. It was flexed to Sunday night football a couple of weeks ago. So that one changed to an evening game going to be cold in Chicago and look the Bears have not played bad Kevin Rogers with Chase Daniel the backup quarterback uh, uh, Matt Nagy has done a great job with their offense and their scheme Khalil Mack leading the defense Rams got a win in inside in Detroit last week I, I like the Bears outdoors at Soldier Field here. Another home doggy getting the three points. I, I know the, the Rams with Todd Gurley, the high-powered offense, and the way that golf is played. Uh, I think that Chicago will have something for them in the Sunday night game in the cold. Give me underdog number two, the Bears, in this one. Um, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts, uh, agreement, disagreement there about this matchup, but Chicago could have won that game, as you said earlier, with the Giants. They had a chance to win. Uh, they're getting into overtime. Uh, the Giants kicked the field goal. The Bears got their possession, and they got stopped on downs, trying to move the ball down and either retie the game or win it with a touchdown. I like Chicago in this instance against the Rams. And we'll see if Mitchell Trubisky comes back too. So, uh, 
you know, the Bears have been good at home this year. They had lost to the Patriots, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And for the Rams, now go back east again after they beat Detroit last week. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned it last week that that was the first time the Rams played a 1 o'clock game this year. Now they're back to playing a later game on Sunday night. So must, I think it benefits the Rams a little bit. But still, yeah, I mean, it's going to be cold there. And who knows if this will be a playoff preview. Could be. All right. So I've got Chicago as my second underdog. Now, in fairness, we typically have not picked three NFL underdogs, which means we're having to fill up most of the slate here. So I don't know that either one of us would have necessarily gone with this third underdog if there were only two selections to be made. But we're each going to go with the third underdog. I'll let you begin. And here we go. Go ahead. I'm not sure if if the Redskins are uglier than this one I'm going to take, but I'm going situation here. I'm not going matchup. I'm taking the Bengals against the Chargers. And why? Why do we like Cincinnati? We know Andy Dalton's out, you know, and and they're coming off a loss to the Broncos last week. The Chargers coming off this huge win over the Steelers. They get the Chiefs next Thursday night in Kansas City for, I don't want to say an outside shot to win the division. The Chiefs probably will win it but the Chargers can keep helping their playoff resume. And I look at the Bengals, and they have not been listed as an underdog, obviously, of this price or at least of you know more than a touchdown this year. So you're getting them with a lot of points in a situation where, yeah, they have not been good. A.J. Green is out, but I just look at the Chargers, and they have not been great as a big favorite. They lost to the Broncos a few weeks ago at home, and I know Denver's played very well of late, but also one thing I'll I'll give you on this note is the Chargers are coming off back-to-back covers. They've done that two other times this year. In that third game, they beat the Titans by one, and they lost to the Broncos. So they haven't exactly, you know, brought their A game necessarily. They brought their A game to Pittsburgh, or at least A half a game after, you know, they were down early. But I just don't know if I trust the Chargers laying this amount of points. All right, so you will take Cincinnati without Dalton, without A.J. Green. Let's see if they can buck up. And I I like the strategy, too. We'll see if it works, that it's a sandwich in between a Thursday night game at Kansas City after an emotional overtime win. Hey, did they get another field goal attempt just yet, the Chargers against the Steelers? What did they get, five, seven attempts at the game-winning field goal where Pittsburgh kept lining up or jumping off sides or doing something illegal? Uh, They finally made the kick, uh, did the Chargers, to, to win the game. So that'll be your third underdog the Cincinnati Bengals and again this this one is my least of the three that I liked and I'm going with the team that I broadcast for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting eight points at home against the New Orleans Saints after back-to-back home wins the Bucs are feeling good about themselves got a division win over Carolina last week I do like this, Kevin. The Bug defense is playing much better. The firing of Mike Smith as the defensive coordinator back a few years ago has uh, a few weeks ago, excuse me, has yielded some results in recent weeks for the Bucks. They're playing more aggressively with more blitzing. The secondary is playing smarter and doing a better job. To that end, the Bucks had one interception under Mike Smith in the first seven games of the season. They got six INTs the last two games uh, alone with Mark Duffner 
Turner now as the interim defensive coordinator. Buccaneer defense now has 24 sacks in the last seven games. They're playing better. Drew Brees and company come in off the Thursday night loss, uh, which at the time of the game will now be 10 days earlier to the Cowboys. This is an eight-point line. Buccaneers know they have to win out to have any hope of the playoffs. They've got to get to nine wins. I don't know if they can get there. But you've got to win this game with the Saints if they hope that. The line is eight points. I will take those eight points with the Bucks at home against the division rival. And how about this? The Saints were riding high. If the Bucks defeat them, if, if, if they defeat them, there is an outside possibility now that the Saints may not only be the top seed in the NFC down the road, they could be playing on the opening weekend, depending on what happens, if they lose a couple more times. So this is a big game for New Orleans. They're all going to be big from here on out. I'll just take the Buccaneers and the and the eight points, thank you, for this matchup on Three Dog Thursday. So there we go. There are the different matchups in the NFL. Kevin, any other thoughts on the NFL and the games that are coming this weekend? I know Minnesota and Seattle will be the Monday night game. And again, that one has wild card implications for both of those teams. Minnesota off the loss to uh, New England is now uh, in the final playoff spot at the moment in the sixth spot. Seattle in the five spot at the moment in the NFC playoff picture. Any other thoughts on the pro football as we head to uh, to weekend number 14? Well, the other game, too, that's kind of flying under the radar is that Ravens-Chiefs game as well. And I just think it would be a great story, seriously, if the Ravens get in the playoffs and Lamar Jackson leads them to one or two playoff wins when it feels like, you know, it was a little chilly there with Joe Flacco, and then Lamar Jackson comes in, and then he ends up leading the Ravens uh, on the playoffs. <laughs> well, and they picked him at the end of the first round, and a lot of people were questioning that. And remember, they've got Robert Griffin the third out there, too, and RG3 was playing a little bit in the game last week with Atlanta that they won at Atlanta. So they've got three noteworthy quarterbacks. Let's see what happens in that matchup with the Chiefs. All right, you always have great information uh, for the fans, not just on pro football, college football, but everything at Vegas Insider. Tell me more. Absolutely. We're starting to build out our bowl central and uh, most of it is all set. And basically it has all the matchups for every single bowl. It has bowl histories you can refer back to. You can look at every team and what they've done so far on the season. And uh, it's all pretty much uh, well organized. And you can check that out on VegasInsider.com. Go to our college football uh, arena and uh, past that, you know, we keep rolling with the NFL, college basketball now into December. And, you know, hopefully in a few weeks, you know, the interest will ramp up with conference play starting up already. The Big Ten has started, but also, you know, NBA, NHL. So all of that uh, going on. Very busy time. And check us out at VegasInsider.com or on the Twitterverse at TwitBI. Very good stuff, again, for everything, including all the football and all the bowl games. Love that. Uh, Kevin, again, can be found at VI Rogers. He's a great follow on Twitter, at VI Rogers. You can follow this show as well, at 3Dog Thursday. And again, whether you found us on Radio Influence, uh, you can subscribe as well, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. Subscribe to the show as well. Uh, here as part of Three Dog Thursday. Again, Kevin goes Redskins. Hello, Redskins against the Giants with Mark Sanchez. Goes with another NFC East team, the Eagles, against the Cowboys. And goes with the Cincinnati Bengals as a humongous howling dog in the matchup with the L.A. Chargers. I will go Dolphins at home against the Patriots. I got three home doggies. Bears Sunday night game as well uh, with the Rams getting three points. And I'll take the Buccaneers. My Bucks. I'll be on the radio call with Gene Deckerhoff and 
Dave Moore of Bucks and Saints coming Sunday with the Buccaneers getting eight points in that matchup. So there are our underdogs. Kevin, thank you. I appreciate the insight. Good luck with the underdogs. We'll also see what happens with the Army-Navy game and the Heisman Trophy and be talking about all of this next week. Thank you, sir. All right, TJ, thank you. There is Kevin Rogers. My thanks also to Price Atkinson and to Brett McMurphy, a special guest talking Army-Navy and all the college coaching and much more. We'll see what happens with those with that Army-Navy game and the Heisman Trophy. Uh, that'll do it here for this edition of Three Dog Thursday. A reminder, special sponsor, SmackApparel.com has got those get-in-your-face themed tees, uh, whether it's the UCF Perfect Season shirt, the Alabama uh, National Title shirt, they only hate us because they ain't us, the Clemson, the uh, SEC can kiss my ACC, whatever shirt you like, they've got them at smackapparel.com. Take 10% off with the promo code 3DOG on this show. The promo code 3DOG gets you 10% off at smackapparel.com. That'll do it here for this edition of 3DOG Thursday. For Kevin Rogers, I'm TJ Reeves. Enjoy the games. Bye. This is a Rush the Field quick fix on Radio Influence. There was breaking news this week, and that is Urban Meyer's decision to step down as the head coach of the Ohio State University. What I wanted to ask you, was this something that was known earlier in the season? Yeah, it is. I've known Urban, guys, since he he was a GA at at Ohio State, and I was a young coach at LSU. We actually faced one another, and I've, I've gotten really close to him, you know, for, for a while. And, and just in talking to him a few times this season, I could sense that this was happening. And I, I don't think you needed to be to know him real well to know that this was coming down for a while. If you've anybody that's followed the season, anybody that has seen – well, I mean, I know the Maryland game was the most obvious one that you could see his struggles on the sideline. The health is a real issue. When they made Ryan Day the interim coach in waiting – not the interim, but he was the interim – the beginning of the year but when they named him coach in waiting following urban meyer's return that was done with the idea that this was this was going to happen at the end of the year this was done in concert with urban gene smith the athletic director their relationship still very good not so much with the president um and this is a way for urban to kind of go out on his own terms um and in a way where he's leaving his alma mater in great shape. And it's something that is important to him, too, is a lot of people in the on the staff is going to stay there. Now, there'll be some coaching changes, but a lot of the infrastructure in the staff that that quite frankly, Ohio State doesn't look at this as they're struggling or that they needs to be changes, Scott. This is just Urban needs to move on and retire due to health reasons, and, and they want to keep that together, which is why there's not this national search to hire someone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They feel they got their guy. They love their guy. They feel he's a superstar. And to, and to some degree, they see this as their version of Bob Stoops handing it over to Lincoln Riley in, in Oklahoma. Rush the Field with Scott Seidenberg and Chris Leary can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.